This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. I recently was invited to a wedding celebration for my neighbor's daughter, who is now opening the next chapter of her life with her new husband. My neighbors are some of the nicest people that you will ever meet. Humble, sweet people that are genuine. The kind of people that you really enjoy talking to. I've been over to their house from time to time to help them with minor repairs or advice on some of the larger ones, and they've always returned the favor with absolutely incredible dinners that would leave your mouth watering for days. My neighbors, my friends, are Muslim. And the Muslim community in this country has taken several large hits from the Muslim extremists groups that have brought terror to our nation. In many ways, there are great similarities between these extremist groups and the groups that are the cults that our nation has bred. And though fortunately for our cities, the extremist cults typically implode rather than explode, costing lives of many outside of their groups. But when I mention the name Muslim, I can feel that cringing that some of you have at just the very mention of this. In the Christian world of today, especially the American Christians, those extremists have brought fear and separation. And it is at a global scale, not even mentioning the level of separation that is bred by the cult of William Branham. The programmed mindset of the cult of William Branham is one that causes divisions among Christians. In many circles of the message of the hour, as the cult calls itself, the cult followers see themselves as better than all other Christians. They think that they have some special insight that other Christians do not have. While we, were, we are all sinners saved by grace, <clears throat> one group of sinners feel like they are level above another one. Human beings who mistakenly feel that they are better than other human beings only because they know a prophet. But these feelings of separation take those to a much larger barrier. Imagine what would happen at that same wedding celebration that we were attending if 
one half of the room were filled with the followers of the cult of William Branham and the other half with devout Muslims. I sat there in awe as I watched the harmony that was in this large room filled with men with long robes and women decorated according to their custom. In my 37 years of being in the Branham cult, I don't remember ever seeing a group of followers of William Branham this large with such harmony. Take any room large enough to hold more cult followers than one single cult church, and you're going to have a fight on your hands. In any given city, no two Branham cult churches can agree on anything. And as I watched these people praising their God Allah, for the union of this young man and woman, and asking blessings from the God they served, my mind started to wander just a bit. Yet, oddly, I felt relaxed. You see, in the cult, while I was in the cult, <clears throat> we were taught to fear other groups like this because you might catch an evil spirit. Boo! But I was at ease because I knew where I stood with my God and I knew that my God was sitting at the table with us. I started thinking about <clears throat> the three religious groups that came from almost the same backgrounds, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. When you study the origins of each of these three religions, you'll find many similarities. Judaism, of course, can be traced all the way back through the Old Testament, directly through the 12 tribes of Israel, descended from Isaac. <clears throat> and Islam follows a different branch from the same root, all the way back to Abraham's other son, Ishmael. Neither branch accepts Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Yet both recognize Jesus Christ in history. To the Jews, Christ is believed to be just another man in a long line of false messiahs. But to Islam, Christ is recognized as a messenger of God. In fact, the name Jesus Christ is mentioned in the Quran 25 times, while Muhammad is only mentioned by name four times. <clears throat> while these two religions differ in many ways, both originated from the offspring of Abraham, who loved and served Yahweh. Both groups believe in one God. And many in both groups believe that they're serving the same God, but in different ways. Yet each group believes their understanding of God to be correct, while they believe that the other one is misguided. But whether they are worshiping the same God or not, they are missing the most fundamental element that Christianity believes, and that is the new covenant of grace. The Jews do not accept Jesus Christ as the kinsman redeemer and therefore hold fast to the Mosaic law, what Paul called obsolete under the New Testament, under the New Covenant. <clears throat> Islam is also bound by law, including parts of the Mosaic law. They recognize Moses in their teachings, called Musa in the Quran. Moses, or Musa, is mentioned more than any other prophet and is respected as a prophet, a messenger, a lawgiver, and a leader for Islam. To the followers of William Branham, <clears throat> the Islamic viewpoint of Moses will sound very familiar. <clears throat> According to Islam, all Muslims must have faith in 
every prophet <laughs> and, and messengers, which includes Moses and his brother Aaron, or how they pronounce it, Harun. To Islam, Moses is believed to parallel the ministry of Muhammad, just for a different age. What William Branham would have called a type. <laughs> Until recently, <clears throat> I had never studied other religions, and truly have only skimmed the surface. But out of all of these religions that I've studied, while I'm trying to find the origins of William Branham's false doctrines, Islam just happened to be the most familiar to me. If you take a summary of the history of Islam and compare it to the summary of William Branham's ministry, you'll find almost the exact same description. In fact, it is so strikingly similar that you could almost present it to some Muslims telling them that Branham was just another prophet that typed Moses for another age, and you might even gain a following. Listen to this description of Islam. <clears throat> Islam was founded in 622 CE by Muhammad, a prophet of Medina. Muslims, followers of the faith of Islam, do not view Islam as a new religion, but rather that it is the same faith taught by the prophets, Abraham, David, Moses, and Jesus. The role of Muhammad as the last prophet was to formalize and clarify the faith and purify it by removing the ideas which were added in error. The two sacred texts of Islam are the Quran, which are the words of Allah, the one true God, as given to Muhammad, and Hadith, which is a collection of Muhammad's sayings. The duties of all Muslims are known as the five pillars of Islam. Now, <laughs> let's take that same description, replacing the word Muhammad <laughs> with Branham, and let's change their fundamental points, making those words of Islam match <laughs> the message of the hour. And listen how similar this is. Message of the Hour was founded in 1945 by William Branham, a prophet of Jeffersonville. Branhamites, <clears throat> followers of the faith of Branham, do not view the message of the hour as a new religion, rather that it is the same faith taught by the prophets Abraham, David, Moses, and Jesus. The role of William Branham as the last prophet was to formalize and clarify the faith and purify it, by removing ideas which were added in error. The two sacred texts of the message of the hour are the Bible, which are the words of Yahweh, the one true God, as given to Branham, and the spoken word, which is a collection of Branham's sayings. The direction of all Branhamites are known as the fivefold ministry. As you can see, <clears throat> this is practically the very same religion just different names to protect the innocent. Both claim to serve the one true God, and both do not accept, in most cases, the new covenant of grace. Both believe their prophet restored the original faith of the fathers. I was sitting there, watching the bride and groom happily married, trying not to let my mind wander to this cult that I came out of, but I couldn't help it. I couldn't help from laughing when I considered these similarities. <clears throat> Not because of the similarities themselves, <clears throat> but I started laughing because I remembered something that William Branham often said during his ministry 
regarding these devout people faithful to their religion. He actually praised the people of Islam for being more devout than Christians. William Branham often told a story about his time spent with a well-known missionary, Paris Reedhead. In the story, which is part of his personal testimony, a Muslim approaches Reedhead. Trying to convert him to Christianity, Reedhead is defeated miserably by this follower of Islam. In Branham's version of the story, Branham is the superhero. Reedhead quickly fled to Branham to get his superpowers, and William Branham claimed to have given him the gift of speaking in tongues. Though William Branham himself never had this gift. <laughs> Branham mistakenly called him Morris 23 times. But actually got his name right, which was Paris, he only got it right nine times. Yet they claimed he claimed they were good friends. It was very much like the nurse in the story Branham invented about his wife's death. They were good friends for years and years, but what was her name? Let's throw a few names together as you make up the story. Reedhead got his ticket to fame through Sudan missions in 1945. Four years later, at an altar, Reedhead describes his real conversion, which he accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The first time William Branham mentions Reedhead is in 1953. Coincidentally, it's the same year that Reedhead published his personal testimony on how he received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I find it strikingly odd that Reedhead attended Branham campaign meetings in Tallahassee, Florida, and then went to Branham's home where he received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yet even in 1953, he will not admit to sitting in the home of William Branham. <clears throat> Branham's name is mentioned in the personal testimony. But when receiving the Holy Spirit, Reedhead places the emphasis on a graduate of Chicago University and Princeton Seminary, opposite of the poster channel that William Branham nails up for receiving the Holy Spirit, which is himself. Reedhead describes meeting William Branham in April of 1952, and that meeting made him decide to do a soul search. He says that he never attended a single meeting of any of these groups accused of fanaticism, meaning Branham campaigns. In May of 1952, this search led him to a Bible study led by a Baptist minister. But here's what William Branham told, embellishing the story as it went over the years. Branham said in 1954, he knelt there by the old coffee table. I just picked him up from there, the little man sitting back there who fixed it, the man sitting back there who fixed it a while ago. Sitting there, he broke the glass on top of it as he kneeled down. He said, God have mercy on my sinful soul. And then I laid hands on him, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost came on him right there. But listen to Reedhead's account. Reedhead talks completely different about it. He says, on Saturday evening of that week, I visited with a man whom I felt by his life and ministry could help me. In his home on that occasion, a young man was present who was a pastor of an evangelical and reformed church, a graduate of Chicago University and Princeton Seminary, and who had spent eight years in seeking that relationship to God that he knew should be his. These two earnest godly men patiently answered my questions. Most of these questions I had settled in my own mind 
through the months of previous study, but this was my purpose to ascertain everything I was seeking so that I should be complete in accord with the Word of God. My primary concern was not for an experience of an emotional and subjective nature, but rather for a relationship to God which would result in a degree of fruitfulness in life and effectiveness in service, which I felt would be more honoring to him who had redeemed me. I actually like this man's testimony. I, <laughs> I actually think many of you should read this. William Branham injected himself as the power behind Reedhead's conversion, never mentioning that the other guy was in the room who studied his Bible. It's also ironic that in later testimonies given by Paris Reedhead, he starts to realize that his experience at the altar call in 1949 was his true conversion. The story of this unknown Baptist minister is completely wiped from his testimony. Isn't it interesting that out of all of the great men that William Branham hung around, not a single one stuck with him except for those who followed John Alexander Dowie's teaching. Ern Baxter, who would have witnessed all of William Branham's superpowers, did not stay in the cult. In fact, he was the teacher and Branham was just the sideshow in the Baxter-Branham campaigns. <clears throat> Reedhead however, is a conundrum to cult programming. If he received the Holy Spirit in Branham's presence, wouldn't that mean that he should follow the cult's theology? I will guarantee you that if any single person <coughs> receives the Holy Spirit in any cult church associated with William Branham and then leaves the cult after learning of all the failed prophecy, that person would be condemned by the pastors in the cult churches. They would be outcasts with little old ladies shaking their fingers at him saying, he never received the Holy Spirit or he would not have left. <clears throat> Many times when Branham retold Reedhead's testimony, he quoted Reedhead with a statement that I would like to ask any follower in the Branham cult. <laughs> the quote is this, Why don't you just renounce your old dead prophet, Mohammed? and receive the resurrected Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Branham enjoyed retelling the story of how the Muslim guy won over the Christian guy. And then he made it sound like it happened because Reedhead had not began the spiritual enlightenment journey up the mountain to see William Branham, just like those that go up to find Gandhi. In fact, as the additional details are added, the entire Islamic faith becomes strong, much stronger than Branham's description of Christianity. <clears throat> the entire religion is described as a powerhouse of faith, but faith in Muhammad instead of Jesus Christ. And the Christians seem to grow less and less powerful in the story. Branham's descriptions make the Christian people sound weak and inferior. 1955, he says this, retelling the story. Said, kind sir, the Muhammad religion can produce just as much psychology as Christianity can. That's right, he said. Look, you people's had 2,000 years to prove that your Lord raised from the dead. And said, only one-third of the world ever heard about it. He said, let our prophet rise from the dead, which he will someday, and the whole world will know about it in 24 hours. That's right. That's true. See, Christianity, not Christianity, but the ministers of Christianity has totally failed. Greatest failure in this world is the clergy of Christianity, 
the messengers of Christianity. That was 19 and 55, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as you're reading this, if you change the name Mohammed to Branham, it's the same thing. An interesting problem, though, is created here. While Branham uplifted many theologians that he handpicked, he condemned theologians in general. The ones he praised seemed to be praised only because they crossed paths and that he could use their name to gain momentum. Seminaries, schools that teach scriptures, are openly condemned in the cult of William Branham. The name is changed jokingly to cemeteries. Because of this, we have cult pastors telling their followers that only the prophet was able to interpret the scripture. His teachings that seem to conflict with scripture, they say, we just do not know how to interpret. That's why they seem this way. <clears throat> and Branham is correct. <clears throat> Place any cult follower up against a Muslim in debate of scriptures, and you'll find that the Muslim can quote the Quran backwards and forwards, while the Branhamite struggles to remember what the Bible even says. Many times, they have Branham's twisting of scripture memorized, and their memory is absolutely nothing like the Bible. Or they remember the single verses that William Branham picked and chose for his little context, and they can quote what Branham said fluently while struggling to quote the actual scriptures. So it raises the question, did Branham want the Muslim to be more studied in the holy book than the Christianity in their holy book, the Bible? Did he purposefully teach against people studying their Bibles in institution with years and years of scriptural and historical understanding so that new converts would be this greater challenge for everybody? It's really ironic because Branham's hatred for any to study the scriptures by any other means than his one-liner context are in direct conflict with 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Ironic because 2 Timothy 3 contains one of those one-liners. Let me take this little verse as my context, or let me build my context from this verse. This is the reverse of what it should be. <clears throat> the Bible should be the entire context, and we should point back to the Word of God, not point one line of that word to our statements and our sermon. 2 Timothy 3 describes those men that would rise, like William Branham, and be led astray by their passions. <clears throat> the first part of the chapter is one that you'll be very familiar with. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3, But I understand that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul writes, avoid such people. People speak against us for pointing cult followers away from the false prophet and back towards Jesus Christ. But how many of these attributes did Branham himself display? He loved those fabricated stories that uplifted himself. 
He loved those expensive hunting trips and was very proud and arrogant against all other Christians. He was heartless towards women and slanderous against the word himself. He added the words to dwell in, claiming that God spoke something that God did not speak. All of this has the appearance of godliness and seems to have power, but this is denying the power of the word. It is promoting the power of the prophet. Paul does not have good things to say about these kind of people. Paul says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. Think of that. How many different paths that Branham took in his studies. Always able to always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. He says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was of those two men, referring to Janus and Jambres. This is exactly what happened to William Branham. Now that his lies are being exposed, there are two men who are really exposed, caught with their pants down in a bundle of lies, and that are his two sons. <clears throat> they oppose the truth by uplifting the false. And now their folly is made plain for all to see. And those who stand for the truth have a very hard road to travel. Persecution on every side. Paul describes his journey much the same. Paul says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul does not tell others not to study the word. In fact, he was their example. He said, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing that from whom you learned it and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture, not portions, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Now notice that last part. <clears throat> Paul says all scripture, not just this little verse as a context. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching seminaries, teaching instruction, Bible study, small groups of people studying, studying the Bible, men teaching others for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped 
And I like that word equipped. Equipped for every good work. How can we be equipped if we do not study our word? How can we stand against the enemy if the word of God is not flowing through our minds? Why do the cult pastors promote William Branham's words as equal to the word of God, tainting the words that should be flowing through us? When we were enslaved by the cult of William Branham, we were really different than other people, and we perceived ourselves as being different. But were we really different than the Muslims that we looked down upon? And why did we look down on them? Were we so far from the words of Christ that we lost the love of our fellow man? What if the Apostle Paul had done the very same thing? What if he avoided the Greek temples because they offered human sacrifice or temple prostitution? What if he took the cult stance that you must avoid these forms of evil or you might catch an evil spirit? Is the power of God really that weak to these religious cults? We should not have a form of godliness and then deny its power. And that power should not be signs and wonders, guessing names off the back of prayer cards, or double exposed photographs to show you a supernatural picture. Throw those old film cameras away. You'll like the digital cameras much better anyway. The power of God is in His Word. If that Word flows through us, it has the power to save others. We can snatch others from the fire by telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have power over Satan, and it does not come from knowing the prophet Muhammad or any other prophet who pretends to be like Muhammad. The power comes from letting the Word of God flow through us as a living, breathing, powerful, saving Word that points others to Jesus Christ. Which direction are you pointing? Are you pointing to a prophet or are you pointing to Jesus Christ?